0: Well, good morning, everybody. Excited to be able to uh, talk with y'all a little bit this morning um, when James was telling me and David what we were going to be, the scriptures we were going to be teaching on um, this month. um, I was joking with James I said somehow it always seems to fall that I get qualifications like last time I talked on qualifications of elders and today I'm talking on qualifications of deacons so I was like even though I don't feel sometimes you know you don't feel worthy to talk about qualifications um it is it was kind of funny how that just seemed to be the way that it fell. but I'm excited because when we talk about the qualifications of deacons today and, and the purpose for deacons as well as the benefits of having deacons in the church um it is going to be an important part as we grow at Redeemer Church. Maybe that would be something that we instill, and, and as we grow, that may be something that we adopt. So it's important to know what God teaches us about having deacons and why they were started in the early church and why they are used. So, uh, right now, and the kind of the for those of y'all that have been here at Redeemer for a while, and those of you that are watching at home that maybe have visited, or that maybe you just continue to, to watch on the live stream we uh, right now we uh, have one we're a model of church we have an elder model so basically we have james who is our pastor he's also the an elder of the church and uh, me and david have been going through the elder and training process and if whenever they, when we get to the end of that process if when the church um, makes that official and they vote us in if that's what god wants you know we would serve as elders um that serve alongside James in ministry in the church, as well as the rest of the members of our church. Well, whenever the church of Acts was at this point in ministry, we see that there was a need for deacons. So before we get started any further, I just want to go through and read um, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And I want us to look at what was going on. And after we get done reading, We'll, t- we'll pray and then we'll dive in a little bit deeper. So let's um, read together. Uh, it should be on the screen. We'll be in Acts chapter 6. Um, and let's stand together as we read God's Word. So in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, "It is not right we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, who will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves. We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word." And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor and Timon, and Parnamonus, and Nicholas, and a prophesied of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faithless. Go to the Lord in prayer. God, our Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for another wonderful day, God, that we can be in your word. Father, I pray that you would just remove me uh, any unrighteousness from me this morning, make me a clean... Um, and, and willing vessel to, to give your word this morning. Father, I pray that everybody here and those that are watching on the live stream would hear your word in fullness from the Bible, Father, and not from me. For, Father, I am, I am imperfect, and, Father, your word is perfect. Father, forgive us our sins, forgive us our failure. Help us to tune in to why deacons are important in our church and in the life of the church today. And share my prayer, Lord Jesus, amen. Y'all may be seated. All right, so we're just going to kind of dive in. I've got a, a few points, so if you want to go ahead and put the first point up. Um, We're going to be talking about why we need deacons. So as we started and we read through the the first seven verses in chapter 6, we happened to see that there was something going on in the early church. So Peter and the rest of the apostles and the disciples, they have been preaching. They've been taking the word to the people in Jerusalem. They have been doing works. And since Jesus has left, they've continued to push the ministry um, being faithful, even to the point of being imprisoned and beaten, and being told they shouldn 't preach in the name of Jesus anymore, if we go back in Acts chapter five, we saw in verse starting in verse seventeen on through the rest of the chapter, the apostles were arrested and freed, so not long before this, we had just seen that they had been preaching and were arrested for what they were doing, so they have been told more than once earlier on in Acts, James talked about how they were brought in front of the whole Group of the of the priests and elders and everything and in in the in the temple and they were basically told you need to stop doing this and Peter told them listen you figure out if that's right what's right or wrong but for what we do we we can can't do anything but preach the word of God and so they continue doing it And in this last description in chapter five they were arrested beaten and freed um, for doing the same thing and they just continue to preach the word of God so we get to chapter six and there is basically this need that. When the church came together, they basically brought everything together and they were taking care of each other. So something that seems to be going on was that there were some of the widows that were being overlooked unintentionally as we look. And we read in verse 1, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in numbers, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So in the the church in Jerusalem, um, the Hellenists are basically um those that were kind of you had the traditional jewish believers and then you had the hellenists that were believers that were that came after the fact um when we talk about the hellenist uh, hellenistic era you know we 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 talk about people that were influenced kind of the people of that were we had the people that were of that were I'm trying to think how to explain it they were holding close to the, the values and kind of they resembled uh, the society that they were living in at the time. So when we look at the Hellenists, basically, we're talking about these are believers that have come alongside them in the early church as people were coming to know Christ after Jesus left that were um, part of the believer's body. So when it said the hellness arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so in verse 2, it says, And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So kind of stepping back, we look in verse 1 and 2. There was a need that was not being met unintentionally. And there was a solution that needed to be received and come to the to the conclusion that there had to be something done about people being looked over. So specifically the widows in this case. So because at this time, Peter and the apostles and the disciples, they were preaching and taking the word to the people and they were, they were doing the work that Christ had called them to do when he left. They were basically doing a lot of things. They had to preach the word, but they were also over trying to organize people to help serve in the body of the believers so in verse two, it says, and the twelve summoned the full numbers of the disciples and said, It is not right that we give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now I want to step back to that too, because some people we might could read this verse and say, Well, the ministry of service is not important. The, the ministry of preaching and teaching is the only thing that's important. And that's not what Peter and them were saying here, but what they were saying was there needs to be there need to be people that are dedicating their our, our time into prayer and teaching and preaching of the word. But there also need to be people that are dedicated to the act of service so these things do not continue to happen. So there's not a continuation of the widows being looked over in the distribution when it comes to food or their needs. And so this is what they sought out to do was to fix this problem. And so in doing that, this is where we're going to see the need for deacons. Like, Why are deacons called? Why do we need deacons? And so therefore, in verse 3, it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from amongst you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So as we read through verses 3 and 4, Peter is saying, you know, we're going to come together. And as we gather here today, we're going to pick and we're going to choose amongst ourselves, seven people that will be devoted to this ministry. And so, once we have dedicated these seven people to the ministry so they can serve in this capacity, we will continue devoting ourselves to preaching and teaching and prayer. So, in the church today, a lot of times, I know that I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. I've grown up my whole life in churches that held a very predominantly what I would call a deacon model. And so when we say a deacon model, that doesn't there's nothing wrong with necessarily having a pastor and deacons. There's a lot of churches that, that hold that model. But whenever we look at the way that the church in early Acts was set up, first there were elders which were overseers of the ministry of preaching and teaching God's Word, and then they brought in deacons to aid in that ministry of preaching and teaching. So they can continue doing that specifically that the elders could do the preaching and teaching. And that now the other things that were very much needed and were very important in the church and in the lives of these believers was the service aspect. So in church, we see a lot of times we have like mission projects, we have service projects, we have teams that help with the, uh, the shelter, the, the, the locked up or shelter ministry so we have people that go out and in churches and our exact mission is to go out and serve and take food and to go visit with, you know, widows and the elderly. And we have children's ministries where we have people set aside in churches where we go and we teach our children and we have like VBS and we have like camps and things to pour into our children. And there are things in the church, in the life of the church, that are really important in terms of service, whether that be food, whether that be um, meeting needs in terms of physical things, spiritual things. These are things that are very, very important. And this is something that Peter and the apostles and the disciples, they saw the need for there to be a ministry set aside to serve these needs. So we we can come to the conclusion that the early church, the apostles, the disciples—they did not feel like the service aspect was not a needed thing. We just feel like that when we look at scripture here and we see what was going on, there needed to be specialization. So I was reading, and in, in um, I was reading an article that James had sent me, and I was as I was preparing for the sermon, and we were talking about the needs of the church when it comes to the deacon body, and there is always certain things in the church that need certain attention and so when we have people that serve in a deacon capacity it is important that the needs that are are present in the church are being met in a specialized way so if there's an if there's a widow's ministry that's being met specifically maybe by one or two deacons um, if there's a children's ministry, ministry that needs to be overseen and there's not a children's minister specifically in place for that, then we have deacons that look into the resources that go to our children's ministry. Maybe there are deacons that are specifically over the finances or deacons that are specifically over um, service and outreach in the community specifically. So when we talk about deacons, there, there should be specialized needs that are met. And that it was one of the main reasons why the deacons, the, the deacons were created and brought into the early church. So when we talk about why we need deacons, obviously there was a need at this point, and it needed to be met. And so the next thing we need to talk about is what would a deacon need to be? Who does a deacon need to be in order to serve in this capacity? Because just like an elder, we went... In earlier, um, a few weeks back, it's been a little while back, but we talked about the qualifications of elders. And we talked about the the, the character that needed to be in an elder's life in order to serve as a teacher and a preacher of God's Word within the church. Um, Someone that was going to take up that ministry. God has laid out specific things that an overseer or that a pastor or an elder needs to have in order to serve. So in the same way, deacons have a specific list of things laid out that need to be met in order to serve in that capacity. Because we don't want just anybody serving as a deacon. Um, We want somebody, if we're going to call a deacon, if we're going to call an elder into the church, we want somebody that specializes, that has a passion, that is called to that ministry. And so that when they serve in that role, they are fulfilling what God has called them to do. And they do it to the best of their ability. And they do it well. So if you would flip to First Timothy with me, it'll be First Timothy chapter 3. It should be on the screen. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 13. So we're going to come back to Acts, but I want to jump over to 1 Timothy. Because this is where it lays out. This is one of the places in the Bible where it lays out the qualifications of deacons. Um, and in Acts, it does talk a little bit about this in, in a very, very short, sweet to the point Measure, But there's no real expounding on the qualifications of deacons in Acts. So I wanted to come to Timothy and then we will go back to Acts. So in chapter 3, starting in verse 8, it says, For the qualifications of deacons, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. So, First of all, when we talk about someone that needs to be a deacon, they need to be dignified. They need to be somebody that's above reproach in the church. They need to be somebody that if we were to put them up in front of our church here at Redeemer Church and we say, "Okay, we're going to, let's say, just like we're trying to train up uh, elders for the church. Let's say we elected a couple of people. We wanted to be deacons in the same way. We want to put them through a similar process. We want to make sure that they are ordained to do the job that they are called to do the job and they meet the qualifications to do the job and that the church would agree upon that um, in the sight of God. So we want someone that's dignified, above approach, somebody that fits the mark. While nobody is perfect, nobody ever hits the perfect mark that is set by Christ, you know, Christ being our example we do want people just like as we want our elders to be dignified. We want our elders to meet a certain mark. We also want our deacons to do the same. We also want them not to be double-tongued. So we don't want a deacon. We don't want somebody that's going to be serving in the capacity of service within our church as a deacon to be somebody that is hurting with the same tongue that they, they bless with. We don't want somebody that's going out and speaking truths and, and blessings to people in the community or in our church and the same person to turn around and be somebody that's, that's slanderous, and that maybe they don't tell truths and things of that nature. We want somebody that is going to be a person of their word, somebody that is, is, that is uplifting in what they say. Not addicted to much wine. We, we don't want somebody that is serving in a deacon capacity or even in an elder capacity to be somebody that's taken over by um, drinking, somebody that's taken over by drunkenness, somebody that does not have a sober mind, somebody that's not able to completely focus on the calling and the mission that Christ has laid upon them. So when we have somebody that serves in any type of leadership role in the church, we have to have somebody that is focused and not, um, that is, that is not a drunkard, obviously, but also in other things, when we talk about being sober-minded, we want to make sure that somebody is focused on and has the ability to focus on what they're doing. So we don't want them to be addicted, a drunkard, someone that is, that is not responsible, or somebody that is abusing alcohol even though it specifically talks about wine here in verse 8. Not greedy for dishonest gains. So we don't want somebody that's a deacon to be greedy, someone that's not out for financial reasons or somebody that's out to gain any type of praise or glory from being a deacon. Um, I would say that, you know, I've had someone tell me in the past, a, a youth pastor friend, and I've had pastor friends tell me this in the past, I mean, I think me and James have even talked about this in in detail before, just in conversation. But if you want to go into ministry, if you're somebody that wants to receive praise and you're somebody that just wants to have an easy job, don't go into ministry. Because when you're in ministry, there's a lot of work of the heart that goes into it. There's a lot of work of the Spirit that goes into it. And if you go into ministry just for your own personal gain, you're going to get torn up. And you're going to get eaten up and spit out. And I say that not because that Specific people just are, you know, not that, to say that I'm capable more than anybody else or that James is more capable than anybody else or that Dave is more capable than anybody else, or anybody in this room is more capable than anybody else. But what I'm saying is if in your heart God has not called you to ministry, if God has not called you to serve in this role, if God has not called you to be a pastor or a youth pastor or a work, music minister or an elder, if you try to step into that role for your own personal gain, your heart cannot take the load that comes from ministry because there's so much more to it than just showing up on Sunday and being in the building. There are people in the church that need you. There are people in the community that need you. And if we serve the way we're supposed to, again, I claim I fall short of this, but when we serve in a role, we have to be willing to invest in our people. And so we don't want somebody that's out for their own personal gain or dishonest game. We want somebody that is in it to serve in the capacity they're being called to serve. In verse 9, it says, they must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. And just to to talk about that a little bit, when we say the mystery... Basically what that saying is a common Pauline word and refers to the entire revealed content of God's plan to bring salvation through Christ. So when we say we need somebody that must hold to the mystery of the faith with the co-conscious, we're talking about somebody that is completely invested in all the truths that come from the gospel and God's word. We need to have somebody that is sound in their faith and willing to and understandably able to accept and to be completely all in for everything that comes from the truths of the gospel. If you're not somebody that believes all of the parts of Scripture, if you're somebody that takes the part but not the whole, if you're somebody that is not completely grounded and somebody that is not completely bought by the truths of the gospel, then you probably don't need to serve as a deacon because you have to be completely invested in your role just like as you would be an elder. You want to make sure you're invested in the people you're serving, whether it's in a role of service like helping the widows in the food ministry or the... Um, outreach ministry or whatever the case may be, just as it would be someone that's a part of the prayer ministry or the preaching and teaching of God's Word or teaching Sunday school class or teaching a small group. It doesn't matter whether you're an elder or a deacon. If you are called, you want to be able to live up to the, the calling that you've been given, even though we're all imperfect people. We want to be able to live and have a passion and to accept the fullness of God's Word and of the gospel. In verse 10, it continues to say, And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. For those who serve as deacons gain good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. So backing up, 2 verse 10, let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacons. So just like me and David, are, are, we're currently going through, we're preparing ourselves to take on a role of an elder in the church. We're trying to make sure that we are going through the process of make sure we're qualified and, and we're going through curriculum and reading um, Scripture alongside James and we're trying to make sure that we are grounding ourselves and, and versing ourselves in certain aspects of the gospel, certain aspects of service within the church. If a deacon is to come and to be a part of that role in the church and to be called by the church, they need to be tested. Just as I believe that all of us that serve in some capacity in the church have to be tested and to be approved by the church, the deacons need to be tested and approved by the church. Because if somebody says they want to be a deacon and they want to do the widow's ministry, but we test them out and we say, okay, well, you can be over the widow's ministry and we can watch you assist in leading that ministry for a time, but they're not able to step up and lead and to take over that ministry in an effective way. If the widows are being neglected, as that was the problem right here in, in the early church in Acts, and we see that there are still gaps in that ministry that are not being fulfilled and the need that we need that person in that ministry role as a deacon, then why should we call them, why should we put them in that role if they can't fill that role? Um, If we talk about the things such as being dignified, not being um, double-tongued, someone that is uh, not drunk, a drunkard of wine, or addicted to much wine, if we put them not only in the specific role, but also when we look at their character and we're watching them over the course of time, if we see that those character traits aren't there, should they be that deacon in that capacity? If they don't have a passion for that ministry, should they be a deacon in that capacity? Maybe they do fit the characteristics of the role, but maybe they aren't passionate about the widow's ministry. Should they be a deacon in that capacity? So we should ask ourselves a question. If the deacon's going to come into our church and serve in that role, are they excited, prepared, and willing to do the ministry job that we've asked them to do? And then it continues on in verse 11. So, you know, it seems like we really have... The person that's, that's being looked at as an elder or a deacon, and I know we're not talking about elders today, but we're talking about people that, are, that feel called to serve in the church and we're being looked at, we're being observed by the church, we're being observed by our pastor, we're being observed by other leaders in our church, and we're, asked, we're saying, yes, Lord, we want to serve you in this capacity in the church. And if we're being watched by the church, it seems like we're being put on a pedestal to be given a hard time. But the truth of the matter is, if you are going to put yourself in a position to lead in a church, you should be on some sort of pedestal because you are saying that I am going to do God's work, and I am here for these people. So God does hold you to a higher standard in in a regard. Even though we're all Christians, we all fall under the same calling that Christ gives us. That Christ gives us in Matthew chapter twenty-eight to take the gospel to all the ends of the earth. Even though we're all under that same heading when it comes to elders and deacons, we have to be set apart and we have to be prepared for the duty and the mission and the job that is at hand. And in verse eleven it's very much so said that even though the person that is up to be looked at for this role as a deacon, the wives are also being looked at. So it's not just the, the, the the man or the husband that's wanting to serve in this capacity that's having to prove himself. As our as we step into this role, our wives and our families are also part of the equation too. And while some may say, well, you know, the wife is not becoming the deacon. So why should the wife be looked at heavily? Well, the thing is, if, if, if someone's going to step into a role as a leadership role in the church and they're going to serve the church, who is their partner in life? It's their wife. And if you have a wife and you were to be a deacon, then your wife is helping you serve alongside in that ministry. And they are also called. And so in verse 11, it talks about that. It says their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, be sober-minded, faithful in all things. So it's saying that not only should the the deacon in question, the deacon that is being looked at be these things, but the wife also must be dignified. So the wife must be above reproach. Your wife, if you're to be a deacon or if you're to be an elder, needs to be on the same pedestal that you're on. Because when I'm, let's say, if I'm serving and I'm up here preaching the word of God and people see me, and they say, well, we have to hold him to a higher standard because he's preaching and teaching. You know, my wife Taylor and Allison weren't able to make it this morning because, honestly, we, and they wanted to apologize that they weren't here this morning because I overslept. I didn't sit my alarm like I was supposed to this morning, so that was on me, not on them. Um, but whenever Taylor, my wife, if I'm here serving in, in a capacity as an elder in the church, my wife Taylor... She's also being looked at as well, and I know that. She knows that. We all know that. And so, and David, you know, and Jessica, so David is serving as an elder. You know, Jessica's also stepping up to the plate too. And sometimes that's kind of scary, right? Because, you know, in your mind, and I've heard this conversation said, you know, I wasn't the one to call to be a youth pastor. I wasn't the one that was called to be an elder. I wasn't the one that was called to to be a preacher. So why does that burden fall on me? And I've heard wives and women have that conversation and the thing is there is a blessing and a burden when it comes to being in ministry you have the blessing of the person the the husband or the, even if the wife is in a ministry position in the church maybe they're teaching the the children's ministry like sarah helps the children's ministry um you know all the women in our church here at redeemer church have taken a role in helping out in some way with children's ministry um, in preparing food and things like that. So even if they are not a deacon's wife or they're not an elder's wife, all of our women in the church have roles that they play too. And so whenever we have a deacon that's being looked at or an elder that's being looked at, specifically deacons we're talking about today, our wives are alongside us in this ministry. So just as we're being looked at, our wives are being looked at. And that, shouldn't, that can be a scary thing, but it shouldn't be a scary thing because of the specific... Calling that if your wife supports you in what you do, and if you are truly called to the ministry that you're stepping into, it is a journey you're taking together. Just like when you do anything else in life together, when you have your first kid together. We have a nine-month-old, almost ten-month-old at home. she's I love her to death. She's the, the light of my eye. I love being there with her every moment, every day. Me and Taylor both have work from home jobs where we have the ability and the blessing to be able to see her every day, even when we're at work. And I love Alisane with all of my heart. And I love Taylor with all my heart as my wife. And when we took on that journey of having a child together, we both have come alongside to raise that child. It's not just Taylor's responsibility to raise that child. I have to be there too. And I'm changing diapers and I'm wiping booties and, I'm changing clothes and she picks out the clothes and make sure the, the, the pacifier matches the clothes. I was talking to Jessica about that earlier. And I'm the one, you know, that if Taylor asked me to do something, I need to follow through and do it. It's a teamwork job to raise a child. And in the same way, if I'm coming into ministry or if David's coming into ministry, if James is in ministry or any person in this room that decides to, to step up into that plate at some point in the life of this church, you know, Nick leads for us in the music. Um, You know, and we have our brothers and sisters in Christ that are members here that as we grow as a church and we gain in number and as we gain and grow in ministry, we are going to have need for more people to step up in those roles. And our wives are alongside us on that journey. So when it comes down to it, these verses are not to call out our wives necessarily to put them under a microscope for the sake of putting them under the microscope. But when we talk about a deacon stepping up into a role to serve, our wives are alongside us on that journey. And that is the importance of why wives are being called out here because they too have to hold up that mantle if they're going to come alongside their husband in that role. So they may not themselves be the deacon. They may not themselves be an elder, but the wives are just as important part of that ministry as their their husband is. So they want to, in verse... 12 it says let deacons each be the husband of one wife so you know we've talked about that could be you could look at different interpretations of that but what i believe is that when it says that in scripture what we believe here at redeemer church is that that is the husband that of one of one wife not necessarily we're not talking about plural marriage here but we're talking about somebody that has been married to the same woman someone that's not divorced and remarried someone that is the husband of one wife that's what we believe in here at Redeemer Church. And there could be different interpretations of that. You could look at that different ways, but we believe that is based on what Scripture says is in fullness, that's what it's talking about. And it says, let each be a husband of one wife and managing children in their own households well. So not only, we were just talking about raising kids together in that journey. Not only are we talking about you and your wife being on the same page in terms of ministry, but also your children are brought into that ministry and they're a part of that ministry and they love that ministry and you bring them up in the way that they should go alongside you as you embark on that ministry. If you can't, the scripture is talking about here, if you can't be in control of your household as a deacon, as a man of your household, how are you supposed to take on the responsibilities of a deacon overseeing multiple people in the church under a specific role if you can't take care of your own wife and your own child? So that seems very blunt. You can take that as being very blunt, but it is what it is. If we can't serve in a capacity where our family's taken care of, why are we to be expected to take care of everybody else's family if we can't take care of our own family? And then lastly, um, it says as deacons gain a good um in verse thirteen, for those who serve well as a deacon gain a, a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so, again, there is gain that comes from serving in a role like a deacon. Um, there is gain from someone that serves in a role as a pastor or an elder. But when you take upon and we call somebody to be a deacon or when a deacon is called to serve within the church, there is gain that comes from it. Now, we talked about earlier in the, a few verses ago, it talks about someone that shouldn't be in it for personal gain. But when we serve in ministry, isn't there some some encouragement that we receive from that? When we serve for ministry, isn't there some joy we receive from that? If you're in a part of ministry that really God has set on fire in your spirit and you're serving in that role, isn't there some joy in, in things that come from that ministry that you personally gain from it? And that should be the way that it is, but we shouldn't go into that ministry to gain financially or to gain status or to gain a better view in the sight of the people that are in our church. Those should be things that come secondarily from serving in that role. We gain those things in joy from serving with a good heart. We don't come into the deacon role to serve and to expect those things, but we get those things from serving in that role. So I'm going to flip back to Acts chapter 6. So we've talked about why we need deacons. We've talked about the qualifications of deacons. And the last point I want to make real quick, because I know we are running a little short on time, But I'm not going to try to rush through this, but it shouldn't be a very long point. But the benefits of deacons. Now, this point is just as important as the first two. We know that it is important. We see that in Scripture there was a need for deacons. We see in Scripture there is a certain standard that deacons are held to. But now we have to understand if we have deacons in our church, if we have deacons in our ministry, what is the benefit of having them? So let's look at that. So we're going to pick back up where we left off in verse 4 of chapter 6 in Acts. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And in verse five, it says, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen. So before I continue on with who they chose, it pleased the whole gathering that they came to this conclusion that deacons needed to be created within the early church. So, you know, I I think, I think about whenever... Me and my wife, and, and, and me and Taylor, when we are doing our job day to day, we, we work from home. And a lot of times we joke with people, and some people are like, Well, you work from home, you know, there's not, you must not do a whole lot. But honestly, sometimes I feel like I work more from home than I did when I worked in the office because, like, there was a clear conscious I could leave, I could go, I could do my work, I could come back home, I completely separate my work from my home. But now working from home, I work in my office, which is my bedroom. So when I get off work, I have to go find separation from the, my resting space, and then I have to come back to my resting space later. And even though you would think if you're working at home that you can just step into the room and hang out with the kid anytime you want to and you can step back to your office and just chill and you're drinking your coffee and you're watching Netflix while you got your work computer up, but that's not the case. If you'd ask Taylor, she would tell you the same thing. She's probably more busy now than she was when she was a home health nurse. I feel like I'm more busy now than I was when I was an insurance agent in Starkville where I drove 40 minutes to work and I worked and I came home. I feel more busy now than I did then. and. You know, we have help. We have my, my mother-in-law, Taylor's mom, Miss Lana, who she helps us every day in watching Al-San while we work through the majority of our day. And when it gets to the later part of the afternoon, she goes and does what she needs to do and we we go back to watching Al-San. And that's a big burden on her, I know, but it's a big help to us. And she loves watching al And I know it's a job. It, it's hard because when your kids are that young, they're really interject. They're learning. They're a handful. And so whenever... Miss Lana started helping us watch Alice Ann while we worked. It was a blessing to us. And so in the same way, I, I, the reason why that, that example came to my mind is because when the deacons came and they elected these deacons to start these ministries to the widows and the different needs in the church, it had to have been a blessing to the apostles and the disciples, but also the church as a whole, because there was specialization to those ministries. And the load was being taken off this one group of people. And now there were multiple groups of people doing specific things for ministry so that more ministry could be done. So I feel like when Miss Lan is watching Alice Ann, I have so much peace that my kid's being watched by somebody, not only by somebody somebody that she loves anyways and that she's going to grow up around anyways, but my mother-in-law, because she's with us a lot and she watches Alice Ann, I can do my work better knowing that Alice Ann's in good hands while I'm at work. And Taylor feels the same way because someone's there watching her. We also have a, a girl that's, um, that, that comes and watches her sometimes in the afternoon that's um, a family friend of ours, and she, we, we have her watch Allison sometimes in the afternoons, and that's a help, too, when we need that. And so it is a hard job being a parent and working full time in the same way in ministry back here in the early church. It was hard to be completely focused on preaching, teaching the word of God and being over prayer ministry and having to make sure the widows and everybody else were being taken care of, too. So when the deacons came into the picture, they relieved part of the load off of the apostles and the disciples, and they completely had a job of their own just as. Instead of Allison having to be in my lap every day while I'm trying to take calls, I'm trying to take care of people, and I'm managing a group of um, individuals under my insurance team and um, for United Healthcare, and you know, with everything that I do, um, and instead of Taylor having to have Allison in her lap while she's trying to call members and help members in the communities with her nurse case manager job, we can focus completely on what's before us, the task that we have at hand. And when we get off work, we have our baby there. We can check on her throughout the day. We can completely devote ourselves back to Allison when we're not working. And we have complete and utter peace that we can do that because of the way things are. In the same way, the benefits of having deacons is that there is ministry specialized and tasks being done so that someone like James can continue preaching. He can study and completely devote himself to teaching small groups can teaching the message on Sunday mornings so he can prepare and teach me and David as we're going through the training process of the elder process so he can go and meet with people and minister to people for lunch meetings during the day and during the week when he's not preaching on Sunday mornings here. So just like we as a group take some of the load off or try to take some load off of James, deacons take some of the load off of elders and pastors. And that's why they're needed in the church. The benefits of them in the church is because of what they can do and what their job is and how it really and truly helps the church as a whole. And so to continue on, I'm going to read through this real quick. Just It talks about who was chosen. So in verse 5, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, and a proselyte of Antioch. They These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. A great many of priests became obedient to the faith. And just kind of to finish off as we read in uh, verses 6 onward and verse 5 on, really as we talk about those that were chosen. These people were chosen for a specific reason. Every one of these seven people were chosen to serve in a particular capacity. And when they were chosen and brought before the church, the church came and the apostles, the disciples, they came and they laid hands on these men and they prayed over them. And they they blessed their ministry. And they said, okay, we've chosen these people. We've set them aside for this specific ministry. Let us pray over them in this ministry. So just like when a pastor or an elder is called and we pray for their ministry, they're ordained, they're chosen, they're set apart for that job. A deacon is also set apart and blessed and ordained to do their job. Maybe not ordained in terms of like a document or anything like that, but they are ordained and set apart by the church to do a certain ministry so that they can fulfill that job well. You know, a deacon can be a man that's in a church. They don't necessarily have to be a pastor because there's differences in the calling of an elder slash pastor and of a deacon. But we can take a man that's serving in our church that has a passion for a specific ministry. And if they're called to that by the Lord, if they're given that passion, they want to serve in that, that way. If they have the resources to help put towards that ministry, then if they're qualified, if they meet the things that we talked about in 1 Timothy, then they, they, should, they should step forward and serve if that's their passion. And once the church accepts them, once the church puts them up and we ordain and we say, yes, this is a good candidate for this role. Let's pray over them. Let's send them off. Let's, as a church, not just tell them, okay, cool, serve in that ministry position, serve in that deacon capacity. But also, as a church, let's go alongside them and say, we want to help you be successful in that ministry so that you do your job well and so that the church and the people of God are benefited from that. And the, number of deci- and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and great many of priests became obedient to the faith. So because the deacons were brought forward, they were elected, and they were brought into the church, because the elders, the disciples, the apostles, those that were preaching and teaching and ministry that were being divided up, trying to make sure these other things were done, and they were trying to be a part of the prayer and the teaching and preaching ministry, when these people came that they elected and they stepped into that deacon role, they immediately relieved the stress of being, having to be multifaceted and not specialized for the, the, those that were teaching and preaching. And they allowed them to be specialized. And then the deacons became specialized, and they were a part of specific ministries. And because of that, the whole body of believers benefited. There were more disciples that were added to the number. There were more believers that were added to the number. People were coming to the faith. People that didn't believe were turning to the faith and were believing and becoming founded in the truth of Christ. And so as we grow as Redeemer Church, right now we're, we're, we have a, we're a church that has adopted an elder model. And we also know the, the spiritual need for deacons in our church. Because we're at the size we're at right now, we know that right now we, we're really just kind of leaning on those elders because we really honestly at this point don't really have the size we, we kind of are able to as as a group We're working. We're filling out the ministries that we have. We're growing as a church We're figuring out what we need to do as Redeemer Church We're figuring out what we need to do in our community how we can serve the Air Force how we can serve the W how we can serve the The the, the people here that live in Columbus, Mississippi and in the Golden Triangle area and and, and further than that but ultimately When the day comes where we grow and we see a need for a deacon in our ministry, biblically they are needed and biblically they are helpful and biblically they are just as much a part of the ministry as an elder or as a pastor. And so when we see the reason why we're preaching on this, even though we don't necessarily have a quote-unquote deacon in our church now, is because there's going to come a day where we need a deacon. There's going to come a day where we need people to step into those roles to take those specific jobs up. And just as the early church benefited from that, they multiplied, they grew in number, they were able to do more in ministry because they weren't spread so thin. So as we move forward, as we pray for the future of Redeemer Church, and we pray for the future of Columbus and Mississippi and the ends of the earth, as we talk about what's going on in the world right now, we talk about what's going on in, in Ukraine and in the other parts of the world and how that affects our ministry here, we should be urgent about God's business today. I need to be urgent about God's business, personally. We as a Redeemer Church need to be urgent about God's business. We need to be, as a community of believers, need to be urgent about God's business. And if we understand why deacons are needed, we understand why elders are needed, we understand why our pastor is needed, and why all the members that make up our church are needed, and they all have specific roles and passions that go into serving in the church, we will be a stronger body of believers and a stronger community. When we know those things and we believe those things and we accept those things as complete truth of God's word. So that being said, as we finish up, we've gone over why deacons. We've gone over what do deacons need to do? Who do they need to be? We have talked about the, the, the qualifications and last we've talked about the benefit and the benefit of deacons is just what we stated. They, they take the load off of those that are in the preaching, teaching, and prayer ministry, so that service ministry can be done. And as we finish today, when the gospel is being spread more effectively, God's work is being done more effectively. When God's work is being done more effectively inside the church, as this church, as well as Redeemer, and as far as our church family, as a Big C Church in the community, when that's being done effectively, the gospel is being spread. And when the gospel is being spread, more people are being won to Jesus. And when more people are being won to Jesus, this world is a better place. And God is in it. And He's in it every day. And even though the devil thinks he's winning, even though the devil thinks he's doing these Hail Mary passes, trying to hurt us in these last days, God wins in the end. We know that God wins the battle in the end. We know God is victorious already. We are living in heaven on earth, knowing that we are believers in Christ, to know that we are going to share in heaven with Him for eternity. And until we go to be there with Him, that this is our mission, is to spread the gospel effectively, to love others, to serve in our communities, and to serve our own families and our friends here at Redeemer Church and in, in the church as a whole. So thank you all for being here this morning. I'm excited to be able to talk a little bit. I rambled some, and I know that there was a lot to unpack in those few verses But I'm so thankful that we could talk about it so we can continue having a better understanding of what God calls us to do at Redeemer Church. Let us pray. God, our Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for another wonderful day. And as Nick comes back up to lead us in one final song, Father, I pray that you would ordain the, the preaching and teaching of your word, Father, that we would have heard something today and gained from it, Father, that we have a better understanding of what the deacons look like in, in a church, that we have a better understanding of what the, the responsibilities of a church and, and the leadership in our church should look like. Father, I pray that as we leave here today that we would be serious. We know that the battle belongs to you, Father. We know that you are, um, you are in control, that you have won the war. And even though the devil is... Roar, is crawling about like a snake trying to, to, to get in the way, to trying to hurt us. Father, you have already stomped the head. We know that Christ stomped the head. and He bit the heel, but you've won the final victory because the tomb is empty, Father, and you are victorious. And Jesus, you're alive today, and we're thankful for that. Uh, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our failures. In the Holy Spirit's